Father, again, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for the privilege of being here, uh, free to come and gather together and worship you. And we thank you for uh, how you have provided for everything we need. You've given us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of your Son. And we have your precious and magnificent promises. Father, I pray as we look into your word, you would bless this time. That you would help us understand what you intended exactly. And that we would uh, respond as you desire. For your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever failed? (laughs) I'm going to get a yes on that, right? We've all failed. And when you come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we don't want to fail, but we do. We don't want to sin, but we do at times. It's this this weird irony that uh, we're being made more like Christ, but yet we still fail. We still sin. And if you're truly wanting to be like him, you don't want to sin. And sometimes that leads us, when we fail, to make maybe a list of things that we're going to do so that we don't sin. Okay, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to go here. I'm not going to do this. And I'm not saying those things are wrong in and of themselves, but we're going to see if we trust in that list of things to do, then we end up yielding to the flesh in the same way, but in a different manner, uh, rather than actually following the Lord. We're going to see that we can be tempted to make rules to hold ourselves down that we wouldn't sin. And yet we're going to see today that the Lord Jesus Christ is truly all that we need. He is truly our Savior uh, when we first believed. He's our Savior now. And he is coming to deliver us uh, when he comes to, go, to bring us into his glory. So with that in mind, we are looking at Colossians chapter 2. And within this, we have been looking at things that will shipwreck your faith. Things that will send your spiritual boat on the reef. Things that will cause you to be immobilized in your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Things that will ruin your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, temporarily speaking. And with that in mind, we're going to see the third of those today. So again, turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2, and we're looking at verses 20 to 23. Now again, the Apostle Paul has never visited the Colossians, uh, but he has heard from Epaphras, their spiritual father, of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and their love for the saints. And he has prayed for them that they'd be filled with the knowledge of his will, which would be manifest in a worthy walk. And he has, uh, within this, been been informed, obviously, of the bad guys, those who were attempting to delude them with persuasive arguments, those who were trying to take them spiritually captive. And so the Apostle Paul brings forth the solution to that threat, beginning in chapter 1, which is a focus on the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, he is God through whom God the Father brought about everything. In him and through him all things were created. And we know that he is the Lord of this first creation. But he is also the Lord of the new creation, the the the, the church, the, the body of Christ. He is the Lord of the new creation, having given himself to bring about our salvation, that we would be presented holy and blameless beyond reproach. 
And within that, uh, having him clearly identified as uh, who he truly is, Paul begins to share how he ministered and ministers, which would be a contrast to the bad guys which we're looking at in chapter 2. We saw the Apostle Paul was not some hireling. He was one in whom God chose to preach his word. And we see that he was one who was faithful to preach his word fully. We see that God's ministers, God's men, in the context of ministry, they are those who bring forth the word of God and proclaim Christ. That's what they do. The method of ministry is proclaiming Christ, admonishing and teaching that every man would be presented complete in Christ. It's all about growing in your relationship with Jesus through the word of God by the power of the Spirit. And within that, uh, he began to address those temptations, those temptations uh, that they might have from those who would come alongside and try to help them in their walk with Christ. But he pointed out in his struggle for them that they wouldn't fall in these things, that in Christ are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It's in Christ that there's all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It's not in man, it's not in people. And that we should be careful that that no one deludes you with a persuasive argument. No one deludes you because as you've received Christ, so walk in him. We received him by faith, so walk in him by faith. And within that, he says these things, obviously, that no one would take us captive. No one would take us captive. And it's from there we began to see things that would shipwreck your faith. But before so, he begins to, sh- he shares that in Christ, well, Christ is fully God in human flesh, and that in him we are complete, and that we have a complete salvation, Christ having t- taken care of our sins on the cross, our sins obliterated. And therefore, uh, we should not allow certain people to do certain things that might manipulate us, spiritually speaking. We saw that we should let no one act as our judge in relationship to the shadows in the Old Testament, portrayed as realities when the reality is actually in Jesus Christ. And we saw also that we are not to allow those to uh, defraud us of our prize by pulling us away from growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus through the word, by trying to grow by experience and visions, whatever it might be, where we're defrauded of the prize. And today we come to the third of the three areas that will shipwreck your faith with kind of a conclusion at the end. So again, turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. And we're going to be looking at verses... 20 to 23, where we're going to see very clearly that the Lord God desires to not have us trip up, get caught up, get taken by these bad guys. And this is how he protects us through his word in the context of Christ. Colossians chapter 2, verse 20. And I'm going to go back to verse 16, but it really goes all the way back to the beginning of the chapter. I'm not going to read all that, but you know that. We've been reviewing this every time, so hopefully you got it down. Verse 16, this is uh, where we start with the three things that can shipwreck your faith. I've kind of reviewed it already, and I will again. Therefore, let no one act as your judge in regard to food and drink or in respect to a festival or new moon or Sabbath day, things which are a mere shadow of which of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels, taking his stand on visions, He has seen inflated without cause by his fleshly mind, 
and not holding fast to the head from whom the entire body, being supplied and held together by the joints and the ligaments, grows a growth which is from God. And now our passage. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourselves to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, and it's emphatic, which all refer to things destined to perish with the using. In accordance with the commandments and teachings of men, these are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. Okay, so we're going to see things that will shipwreck our faith. So you might remember the first thing, and I want to review this, but back in verse 16, we're not to let anyone act as our judge. We're not to let anyone put a spiritual peer pressure on you to do certain things from the Bible, but pulled out of their context. Putting a spiritual peer pressure on you. Therefore, verse 16, let no one act as your judge in regard to food or drink, respect to festival, a new moon or Sabbath, things which are a mere shadow of that which is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And the reason why I'm backing up is because this portion from 16 to 23 keys off of this word, therefore. It keys off of that, and it's really important that we see that. Remember that what he's shared already, that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We're not to be deluded by persuasive arguments. Verse 4, he says this, uh, that no one would do so. Verse 4, we wouldn't be deceived by these good, well-structured arguments. Not good, but uh, structured well, but not good, Okay. And therefore, as we've received Christ Jesus, so walk in him. We're to trust in him alone completely as we did when we got saved. And we saw we're to see to it that no one takes us captive, to make, let no one drag you off as spiritual booty. And within that, we see because Christ has removed the power of the fallen nature over us, he has brought us from death to life. And we have total forgiveness, sins obliterated. The same Jesus who is fully God in whom we are complete. And because of this complete salvation, therefore, because it's in Christ, therefore, don't let these things happen. And I'm not going to reteach 15 and 7 through 16. You can listen to that message again. But we saw clearly it was related to food or drink or festival, noon, Sabbath day, which were shadows fulfilled in Christ. Don't let anyone judge you spiritually, make you feel lesser spiritually because you're not doing certain things which are only shadows rather than abiding and trusting in Jesus Christ. And then I mentioned what we saw last week. We're not to allow anyone to defraud us of our prize. There are are spiritual jippers out there. They're out there, and they are there to take something from you so that they can get something temporarily, in a sense. Eternally, they're in deep trouble. There are those who would defraud you. And he says here in verse 18, let no one keep defrauding you of your prize. No one, let no one do that. There are those who, through false humility and emotional worship based on the flesh, 
uh, they will cause you to be disqualified from the prize. And how do we receive the prize? Because everything that we build upon Christ in the context of his word being built up produces his character in us and we're rewarded from those deeds. But when we rely on visions and and uh, experience and whatever it might be to grow, quote unquote, then we are effectively disconnected from the head of the church and we don't grow actually. And so we're defrauded of that prize. We think we're growing. We think we did all kinds of stuff for the Lord, but we didn't. It's interesting. We know there are those who are unsaved someday who will say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all this in your name? They'll say, depart from me, you practice lawlessness. But this implies there are some who are saved who could be defrauded of their prize. They thought the whole time they were growing. And I hear this from people. They, that was such a wonderful, wonderful service. They're talking about the music. They're talking about the emotions. They heard a couple of verses to make them feel like they're doing the right thing, maybe in the right context. But they're being gypped. They're being defrauded. They're being defrauded. Don't let anyone do that. Don't let anyone do that. And some listening might be thinking you're growing, but you're not. If you can't go to a biblical church that doesn't put on a show, something's wrong. Something's wrong. That means you have been pulled in by your flesh to the show rather than desiring to grow in Christ. Because it's through his word proclaimed, admonished, and taught that we grow, that we are made complete. It's not through a flashy show. It's not through visions and dreams. It's through the word proclaimed. Preach the word, Paul tells Timothy, in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with great patience and instruction. For a time will come when they won't endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they'll turn away from the truth, and they will listen to myths or stories. You hear that all the time, right? You see that. So then don't yoke yourselves with religious experienced people. Don't yoke yourself. You're going to, you're going to get gypped. You're going to get gypped. Don't allow anyone to manipulate you, first of all, in relying in the shadows. Secondly, don't allow them to defraud you through religious experience. Smells and bells, they say. All the stuff. Whatever it might be. That don't let them do that. Don't let them do that. This leads us to the third area that can shipwreck our faith. What we're going to see today. Now, this is a difficult one, and it's very tricky, by the way. You say, why is it so tricky? Well, it's tricky because we know when we come to Jesus Christ, we are to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Jesus. We're to say no to self. And you say, well, what, what's wrong with then saying no, no, no in these areas? Don't touch, don't do, don't do. What's the difference? Well, we're going to see one has to do with trusting the Lord God, his word working in our heart, his spirit changing our hearts towards things and then helping us avoid temptation and do the right thing versus another one laying rules and then using your flesh to not do those things. It's very subtle. It's very subtle. And I mentioned earlier, we're tempted. You fail in some area and you set up a whole bunch of rules so you don't fail. Hey, sometimes it's wise to have certain things, but if you trust in those things, you're in deep trouble. You're in deep trouble. So then, we're going to see that we're not to be deceived into submitting. That means holding yourself under. uh, Submitting to religious decrees that have no value against fleshly indulgence. Okay, verse 20. If you've died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why? 
as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with the using in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men? These are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and the severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. We don't want to indulge in the flesh. We do. We fail. But we don't want to. And so Satan, through evil men and imposters, comes along, and we can even do it in our own flesh too, with a system, as we'll see, to keep yourself from sinning, these do's and don'ts. But as we're going to see, the only way we can be delivered from sinning is if Christ is functioning in us and we're trusting in him. And he will deliver us when we do. When we do. In him, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him we are made complete. So then, notice first of all, he's speaking of these religious decrees in the negative. Do not handle... Do not taste, do not touch. And they appear to be, in a sense, religiously wise. They may be related to some Old Testament things, possibly. They may pull out of context, as we'll see. Uh, they include the sense of a humility, you know, a self-abasement, in a sense. Uh, they're summed up in the statement, severe treatment of the body. It's holding your body down. Holding your body down from to, so it doesn't sin. This is what I'm saying. And by the way, there's all kinds of obvious ways that we wouldn't do, and we look at it and go, that's crazy, but we have little ways that we might do, and we need to learn not to. And so we abide in Christ. So he's speaking of a severe religious treatment of the body through self-denial. And again, wait a second, we're supposed to deny ourselves and take up our cross. Well, there's a little difference between that in the right context and this, obviously, here. Now, this is what some would call asceticism, Someone would describe, or the dictionary would describe, an ascetic as one who lives an austere, self-denying life. We see the obvious examples, the monks of the Middle Ages who would isolate themselves from the world, right? We see the Catholic priests who stay celibate or have vows of poverty. We see the extreme of this, like the, in the Philippines, those people who will take self-denial to the extreme, nailing themselves to a cross to suffer like Jesus did so that they wouldn't sin, they would be like Jesus. You see those extreme things, but it can easily be just easily done also in things that uh, that God might ordain or might not ordain, like fasting or celibacy. Anytime we have a set of religious rules to hold the body down, whether it's denying oneself food, sleep, God-given relationships, to be holy, quote-unquote, and again, I'm not saying fasting is bad. If you want to look at fasting, look at uh, in Matthew. You can go listen to that sermon. But he, but he, but it, but there's fasting is bad if it's for the wrong reasons. If you deny yourself food to try to be more holy, you are doing what you're not supposed to do. That's what we're going to say. So you can look at that later. I'm working on that issue. It's a big issue, but uh, you can read, you can listen to that sermon. I'm also not saying the gift of seeing us. First Corinthians chapter seven is a wrong thing. It's all where the heart is. It's if you are trying to keep yourself from fleshly indulgence through these things in relationship to denying your body or holding yourself back. And again, you say, what's wrong with that? We're supposed to die to ourselves and put off sin. But it has to do with God doing that through us, not we doing it through our own wisdom. 
and a system to stop sinning. You see, at the end, when all is said and done, he's going to say, these things are of no value against fleshly indulgence. They have zero value. So notice in our passage, you have the question asked. He's going to ask a question. Before he said, let no one do this, don't be defrauded, don't be, let him judge you, don't defraud. And I say, and then he's going to say, why? Why would you do this? And that's so that we'd think about it. Why would we do it? If we think about why we're doing it, we're going to realize it's sin, by the way. If we think about why we're really doing what we're doing, if we're trying to mortify the flesh in our own flesh, then we're going to realize something's wrong. And so he does a question here to expose that. He says, if you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with the using in accordance with the commandments and the teachings of men. Why do you do it? Notice he says here with this phrase, if you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world. He's going to base it on our union with Jesus Christ. If you are in union with him, and I'll explain this in a minute, if you're in union with him, why would you go back to the world's ways as if you were living in the world? And he's going to say, Basically, the thing you think is religious is actually worldly. It's very ironic. These people think they're so spiritual when they do these things. But they're actually more worldly. Okay? And we can fall into that. So notice he says, if you've died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, if you've died with Christ, and it's a in Greek a first-class condition, what does that mean? It means you could say it this way. If you've died, and you have, and that's true, but it's, it's said in a question to help us see things, then why do you do this? Then why? Why would you do that? So what does he mean by this phrase, if you die with Christ? Now he's talking to the Colossian believers, those who have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and is evidenced by love for his people. And he's saying, if you Colossians, believers, not non-believers, you believers have died with Christ. What does that mean? What does it mean when someone says, I've died with Christ? What does it mean that we've died with Christ? You see, when we place our faith in Christ for, alone for salvation, we are united to him. We are identified with his death, burial, and resurrection, thus receiving the benefits of his death to sin and life to God. You'll remember we saw back in Colossians uh, chapter 2, verse 11. Look back a little bit. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, in the removal of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him. You died. If you're buried, you're dead, right? In that picture. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were raised up with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. You see, through faith, brothers and sisters, we were placed into union with Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. We were placed into union thus with all his work on the cross, his death to sin and his life to God, his resurrection life. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. Whether Jews, whether slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one Spirit. He's not talking about water baptism. That's an outward symbol of an inward reality. When we believed in Jesus, the Spirit of God placed us into union with Him. We were identified with Christ, dead to our old life, raised in newness of life. It's the same concept we see in this, in this idea of being baptized. It's a, the baptism, water baptism is a picture. 
being identified, uh, having died and being raised in that context. Galatians 3.26, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. That's how we become children of God. For all of you were baptized into Christ. All of you who have been baptized into Christ, placed into, have clothed yourself with Christ. We've been put in union with Jesus and his work on the cross and his resurrection. Look at Romans chapter 6. This is what this is about. Should we continue to sin that grace may abound? May it never be. How can that happen when you've been put in union with Jesus? Shouldn't be, right? Romans 6, 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue to sin that grace may increase? May it never be. May it never be. How shall we, and here's his premise, which is true, who died to sin still live in it? Now, Paul's going to take in our passage, hey, you've died to sin, but you've died specifically in that sphere to the world and their sinful ways and the world's wisdom. You've died to that. You've died to functioning that way. But here, it's the basic principle. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? We've been placed into, immersed into, united with his death. His death applies to us. When he paid the penalty for our sins on the cross, that applied to us. He died to sin. And it was our sin that he died to. It is that he died for, died for us. He says here, in order that Christ who was raised, says, uh, baptism is death, verse 4, therefore we who have been buried with him through baptism into death, in, in order that as Christ is raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so too we might walk in newness of life. You gotta be dead to sin before you can be alive to God. You see? And he says there, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him. You might have a note in there. It literally means co-crucified. It's if our old man was put on the cross and crucified. Our sins are placed on there. He says there, and that our body of sin might be done away, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Verse 7, Romans 6. For he who has died is freed from sin. And we're going to see the principle that when we abide in Jesus Christ, and his work for us in that context, we abide in him, we're effectively dead to sin in those moments. So when we don't abide in him and we sin, right? He says here, now if we die with Christ, we believe we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death is no longer master over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. If you've died with Christ Jesus, you've died to your old way of life, you've died to sin because you're in Jesus, why would you live that way in the context of these religious things? Why would you do that? If you've died with Christ, and he narrows the application down to the elementary principles of the world. We've died to the way the world operates. We've died to the way mankind lives apart from Jesus. We've died to that. Now he goes on to talk about this. Died to or literally from the elementary principles of the world. You see, if something's dead, it no longer has power over you. Or it's a separation, right? If you're, sep- you're separate from its power. And when we abide in Christ, we're delivered from the power of sin. Because of his death to sin, we're dead to sin when we trust in him. And so the Apostle Paul says specifically, if you've died to the elementary principles of the world, if you, in your union with Christ and his death to sin, have died to that, 
Why then, as if living in the world, do you submit to decrees? Now, you might remember this term, elementary principles of the world. We saw it back in chapter 2, verse 8. Uh, we see that verse C2, that no one takes you captive, verse 8, through philosophy, according to empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. The Greek word stoikion means things in a row, like letters of the alphabet, ABCs. The simple, basic reality of how something operates. You know, and how does the world operate? The basics, uh, through their... Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, boastful pride of life. That's how the, the world operates, First John 2. Without Christ, we were centered around ourselves. Without Christ, the world is centered around themselves, the ABCs of themselves, which means man's wisdom, not God's wisdom, they function by. So Paul says, if you've died with Christ, from the, from the, been severed from the elementary principles of the world, because of your union with Christ's death, in which you receive the benefits of his death to sin, being set free uh, from a man-centered way of life, being set free from man's wisdom, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees? See what Paul's doing? He's saying these decrees are all man-centered. He's adding that in, showing you that. It's all man-centered. They're religious. Boy, they're religious, all right. Don't do this. Don't do that. That's probably something you shouldn't do. Maybe it is, maybe not. But we're going to see it's all from the wrong perspective. It's all upside down. It's all messed up. It's all messed up. So why do you live as if you're in the world submitting yourself to deceptively man-centered external religious decrees? This shouldn't be so. Don't do it. Don't do it. You've been set free. You're united to Christ. You're dead to those things and you're alive to him now. He's fully God in the flesh. In him you've been made complete. Don't submit to anything. Submit to him. Submit to him. Now you could ask the question, why would a believer follow their own desire when they've been set free from it? Well, there's deception behind this. Don't forget there are those trying to delude them with persuasive arguments. Don't forget it's deceitful. Uh, they're trying to defraud them, right? Trying to take them spiritually captive. And why would we do it? Hey, we don't want to sin. We don't like it. We don't like yielding to our flesh. We we hate it. We darn did that again. My attitude, whatever it was, darn, Lord, forgive me. We hate it. We don't want to do it because our hearts are changed. But we are vulnerable to trusting in things that will not help us at all. But we will feel as though they will, and we'll get prideful. And it's very dangerous, as we'll say. They appear to be... Uh, religious from God, but they're actually from men. And if you follow them, as we'll see, they have no, any, they do not help you against fleshly indulgence at all. So then notice he's going to give some examples of it here. He talks about do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Basically, speaking of self-denial. And this is again where it becomes tricky. Aren't we supposed to deny ourselves, take up a cross, follow Jesus? Yes. But he's speaking of this in a humanistic evil twist brought by those who attempt to take you captive with persuasive arguments. He's not speaking of this person 
who is controlled by the Spirit of God, yielded, which produces self-control when you abide in Christ. You have no self-control when you're not abiding in Christ. You have self-control when you're abiding in Christ. So we're going to see. When His Word is working in your heart, His Spirit is leading you, you're walking with Spirit. Well, that fruit is going to be self-control. It's when we're not doing that that we don't have self-control. Now, these are obviously negative. Do not touch, do not taste, do not... Uh, do not handle, obviously refer to fruit and drink in this example specifically. But we know these things, this type of self-denial is purely demonic. It's demonic in this context. First Timothy chapter 4 says, but the Spirit explicitly says in latter times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared their own conscience as with a branding iron. You think, whoa, what's coming here? What are these doctors? They must be horribly, wickedly evil. Well, they are. But he says here, he says, men who forbid marriage. That's that's a demonic doctrine, by the way. And he says here, and advocate abstaining from foods. They advocate it. In some way, they make it appear that certain foods are less spiritual than other foods, whatever it might be. And he says here, which God has created to be gratefully shared by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it's received with gratitude. Thank you, Lord, right? And for it is sanctified by the means of the word of God. God says so. He declared all things clean, right? Jesus did. And prayer. So it's probably those demonic doctrines. That's part of it, but I think it goes farther than that, as we're going to see. But notice what he says. He says here, this twisted, we see the twisted reality of this, of this self-denial. He says, verse 22, which all refer to things destined to perish with the using. It's like, this is stuff that's gonna go away. That's gonna go away. Let me illustrate. Some might attribute a spiritual value to being poor. Well, God says, uh, that, uh, God, does God expect us all to live in poverty? Scripture says there are those who are poor and those who are wealthy. The real issue is where your heart is. First Timothy 6, that Paul tells Timothy to instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited, but to fix their hope in God, who provides all things richly to enjoy, and to be generous, storing for themselves a treasure in heaven. He doesn't say you have to be poor to be godly. He says get your heart right. Make sure your heart's right. One pastor puts it this way, spirituality isn't Christianity plus poverty. It's not Christ plus taking a bath. It's not Christ plus living in a monastery. It's not Christ plus anything. All those things are going to perish. They're all going to perish. They are just the commandments and teachings of men, just pure human religion. These things, saying, why are you attributing value to these things, spiritually speaking, when they're going to perish? Why are you attributing spiritual value to them? Now, as we look at our passage, uh, the do nots, they go farther than just simply abstaining from a ham sandwich for Christ. They go farther than that. Look at verse 23. These are matters, to be sure, the, which have, excuse, matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body. It goes farther than just abstaining from some little drink or a sandwich or whatever it is. Notice he says here, severe treatment of the body. 
The term severe means not sparing. And the body here, soma, somatos, uh, speaks of the physical body. He's talking about treating your body badly so that you don't sin. Whether it's by not sleeping so that you don't sin, whether it's by not eating, whatever it's by not being clothed well, whatever it could be, treating your body badly, severe treatment of the body to not sin. He's talking about severe physical self-denial in a spiritual package. Okay? Food, clothing, sleep, God-ordained relationships, severe treatment of the body. And it's so as to keep oneself from indulging in the flesh. Remember, they have no value against fleshly indulgence. So the commands here, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, uh, are to hold your flesh down so that you don't sin. But at core, it's man's teaching, not God's. Notice what he says, end of 22, these are in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. It's earthly wisdom, as we'll see, to try to follow Jesus. It's man's commandments. It's man's teaching. That's the way false teachers are relating to you these things, the seemingly wise decrees coming from human, a human wisdom and framework packaged religiously. It's twisted. It's actually not from God. It's not from God. If you do these things or you be like we are, then you will be more holy. You won't yield to those areas. You won't yield to those areas, supposedly speaking. So why would you submit to these things which are from the world when you've died to, the, died to these things in Christ? Jesus is all you need. Why would you do it when you have Jesus? And you've died to sin. You've died to these things. Why would you fast to be holy, to keep yourself from sinning? Why would you, when you have Jesus and in him you're complete? I hear people say they got to fast to stop sinning. Sorry, that's wrong. Again, you can look at that message on fasting. It's not fasting that stops you from sinning. It is Jesus. Now, you may, out of a desire and a broken heart, want to stay away from food to focus on the Lord. That's different. That's different. Why would you do these things when you're complete in Him? Why would you isolate yourself from the world to keep yourself from sinning? We have Jesus, and in Him we're complete. We are the salt and light in the world. You see, I'm going to isolate from the world so I don't sin. You're no longer salt and light. You're in a monastery. And you're sinning there, by the way. Why would you do that? Why would you not eat certain foods to be more holy when you have Jesus and in him you're complete? Why would you do stuff to protect yourself from fleshly indulgence when you have everything you need in Jesus? There's a lot of, lot of things out there, a lot of books out there. Take pornography, a lot of things and a lot of steps you got to take to protect yourself from that. Hey, there's some wise stuff there, but that does not protect you at all. It is Jesus Christ alone who delivers you from that. Got to be careful. Why would you go back into the world when you die with Christ? Why would you do it? You're trying to combat your flesh with man-centered religious decrees rather than Christ. What's the temptation? Verse 23, these are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement, severe treatment of the body. What's the temptation? They are matters, those things, the don't do this, don't do that, just hold yourself down. They're, they are matters that have the appearance 
of wisdom. The world says, wow, these people are really spiritual. On the surface, without knowledge from Christ through his word, it appears to be wise. And he says, in self-made religion. Now, this is a different, different hard portion to translate, but you could take this phrase and translate this way. These are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom. You could say it literally here. Which are, to be sure, indeed having a logon or a word of wisdom. These things indeed assure, are, surely appear to be wise. They appear to be wise. To the naive believer who's struggling with the flesh, or the believer who's weary of the good fight of faith, the temptation to sin is great because it's something solid you can do rather than trusting in Jesus Christ and abiding in Him. You gotta believe He's gonna do what He said. You gotta believe He is who He is. You gotta trust Him that no temptation is overcoming except that which is common to man. And God is faithful who will provide a way of escape. You gotta trust Him when you fall that if you confess your sins, He's faithful just to forgive us our sins. Don't set up systems. Learn to abide in Jesus more closely in that sense, or more, 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 more often, maybe is a better way to say it. That's what we need to do. When I sinned, I wasn't abiding in the Lord. When I yielded to temptation, I wasn't abiding in Him. Nothing I could have done could have kept me from doing those things, at least it could have kept me from physically maybe doing them, but I just sinned by the way I was doing it, right? Because I'm abiding, not abiding in Christ, but trusting in my own wisdom. You see, our fleshly desires wage war with our souls, and we don't want to be in that war. We want to get out of it. So we have, there's a book here, a book there. There's nothing wrong with books. They point you to Christ Jesus and his ways. But if they give you a list of ways to do stuff, get away from those things. Get away from them. Satan, through evil men and women, will tempt us with an evil solution that's not from God but appears to be wise. And yet the irony of that evil solution is that we ultimately end up indulging in the flesh. And it doesn't help us from indulging in those things we were trying to get away from. We indulge in a religious way. In a religious way. What might some of these decrees look like today on a simple level? I mean, I'll give you some of the large examples. Don't dance, don't swim, don't swim when the opposite sex is present, don't watch TV, don't eat meat, don't drink wine, don't eat sugar, don't use modern appliances, don't wear jewelry, women don't wear pants, don't miss your quiet time, now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying these things are right or wrong. Some of them are fine within themselves. But where are you coming from in the context of trying not to do these things? You see, the solution is not to hold your body down to a set of rules. The solution is to abide in Jesus, and he changes your heart towards things that are wrong. He changes your heart, and he helps you not go that way. It's different. It's through Jesus. It's through Jesus. So then these things have to be sure, the, the word of wisdom, literally, yet it's, notice it says, in self-willed religion. It's really what it means. You could actually translate that self-willed worship. It's, you're following Jesus your own way. It's the self. It's yourself. These are matters which be sure have the appearance of wisdom or the word of wisdom in self-made religion. It's made up by you. You just made up religion. You just made it up. And then he says in self-abasement. That goes along with it, by the way. We saw this word earlier. Self-abasement means humility. Uh, means a lowering, literally a lowering of the mind. 
But in context, as we saw back in verse 18, there were those who delighted in it. It's perverted. They delight in a lowering of the mind. I'm becoming more like Jesus. Uh, and there's this, there's this perverse humility, which is actually pride. And guess what? When you hold to a bunch of rules, you can actually kind of think you're doing pretty good. You, 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 you can be, in a sense, uh, thinking your humility by doing these things is, is great and actually exalting yourself. You know, some people have little rules and stuff. They always seem to be better than others. We had family that was saying, you can't have certain types of clothing at the, at the pool, you know. <laughs> you know, well, wait a second. Other people feel more holy if they act like them. It's not true. You let the Lord Jesus through his word convict you of what is right and wrong, and then you obey the Lord Jesus. Not following some person in their faux humility based on their actions. Don't do that. Self-abasement. They delight in it, the bad guys. And here we see that this brings about a false humility. When you follow rules, you get a false humility, by the way. Not good. Not good. Indeed, those who think they're spiritual want people to see them, spiritually speaking, uh, as that way. They want to, they want them to see how they're obeying these rules in a sense. They want them to see that. Take, for instance, the, the, the Pharisees. Well, before that, you got the monks in their little uniforms. You got the priests with their collars. Uh, you got so spiritual. You got, uh, the Pharisees fasting. Matthew chapter, Six, and whatever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face. They were fasting to be holy, and they're like, they didn't wash their face, and oh, like this, this, this. what's wrong with you? Oh, I'm I'm fasting. (laughs) You know, see how how twisted that is? Do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance in order to be seen by men. Okay? Truly, truly, I say they have their reward in full. So there are, there are believers who've been deceived into believing that through worldly religious wisdom that certain things they don't do makes them more holy. Now you, in Christ, by the Spirit of God working in your life, may have you not do those things. But it's where does it come from? Where does it come from? Notice we have the reality exposed here. He says, these are matters, verse 23, to be sure, have the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion and self-abasement and severe truth in the body. We've talked about that but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. The term literally is they are not of any honor, any honor unto the indulgence of the flesh. There's no value, there's no weight. Honor means weight. There's no weight. It doesn't have any weight to it. It's empty. It has no value in stopping you from fleshly indulgence. In fact, you are indulging in the flesh by doing it, and even though you're not doing those other things that you're trying to not do, right? There's no value. There's no value. There's no way or value to stop you from the indulging in the flesh. That's why you don't want to follow a book that's got a bunch of do's and don'ts regarding things you're struggling with. It needs to point you to Jesus Christ and his sufficiency and abiding in him and walking in him. That's fine. But not to do this, don't do that, do this, don't don't do that. Don't do it. Don't do that, right? Have no weight. And it, it does the opposite. It feeds pride and reliance on the flesh. 
People following rules are the most prideful spiritual people you'll see. You'll see them. And they are in that context relying on their flesh. How demonic. They have the appearance of wisdom, but they have no value against fleshly indulgence. The very thing you're trying to escape becomes that which you succumb to. That's why we need to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. That's why we need to focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. When we go for those things, we're basically saying, you are not enough, Lord Jesus. You're not strong enough to prevent me from doing this. You're not wise enough to prevent me. That's what you're saying, maybe through your action. You may not say that, but that's what you're saying. I need these things. Nope, you don't. You need Christ. Remember, he said, I say this in order that no one deludes you with persuasive argument. In Christ are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Commands, decrees have no power over the flesh, only the living Christ, God in human flesh, who is in us, whom, whom we are complete, who has brought us from death to life, complete forgiveness, our sins obliterated. Only the living Christ can set us free from the power of the flesh. Rest in your union with Christ. Rest in Christ. We're going to see the very next thing we're to do is to set our minds on the things above, not the things of earth. Now, if you look at, think about that, the things of earth here were these decrees here, were these things of following Jesus, man's way. Set your mind on the things above. And then he's going to say, after that, he's going to say, consider yourself dead to sin. We're dead to it when we abide and trust in Jesus Christ. So then, we can run to him that we may receive mercy and find grace in time of need. Hebrews 4.16 Our deliverance from temptation is based on a faithful God, not a rule. That doesn't mean that in trusting in Jesus I might not do certain things. That's true. But it's not those things, not doing them, that protects me from being indulging in the flesh. No temptation has overtaken you, but as such is common to man. That should be the first thing that is shared in counseling sessions. Because everyone thinks their life is worse, their temptation is worse than ours. You don't know what it's like. You don't know. No temptation has overcome you except that which is common to man. And God is what? Faithful. Who will not allow you to be tempted past what you're able, but with the temptation will provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And we fail. We don't trust him at times, but confess your sin and trust him. So then, let me illustrate maybe a little illustration as we finish up here. It's not the command that we're not to see R-rated movies, let's say, that keeps me in check. It is the living Christ, when trusted, who will exhibit his life in us. Does Christ desire me to see bad movies? No, he doesn't. Right? When I'm depending on Christ and yielding to him, he's going to change my desires from those fleshly ones to his desires. You see? In Christ, we have everything we need. And the result may end up being the same, but one is through the flesh and one is through abiding in Christ. What a big difference. Second Peter 1, 2, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of Christ, knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these, 
He has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. That's the word of God. In order that by them you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Notice he doesn't say his precious and magnificent commands. It's his promises. Now within that, we understand what he commands us, but it's in the context of his promise to enable us to do what he's called us to do. So then... The very thing you're trying to stop through decrees has no stopping value, but actually is an indulgence in the flesh. One last passage. Turn to Galatians chapter 5. You see, you say, well, how can I not carry out the desire of the flesh? How can I not do it? How can I not carry out these fleshly indulgence? How? How? What does God say about that? The Apostle Paul, inspired by the Spirit, shares Galatians 5.16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. There's the answer. We don't do it perfectly, we fail, but that's how we do it. He says, for the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, the Spirit against the flesh, for these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under law. The law is the do's and don'ts. God's going to make that law go in your heart so you do it by Him, not by the letter. He changes you. He makes you do what's right. He enables you to do so. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, enemies, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I forewarn you, that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, What's this next one? Self-control. Against such things there is no law. You see, when we're abiding in Christ, there's no law in that sense because he's making, he's, he's enabling us to do what he wants us to do. And it's right. Notice he says here, now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desire. That's your, that's your state. That's your state. But notice, if that's your state, if that's how we live, let us walk this way too. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Every day, trusting God, renewing your heart and mind with His Word, allowing Him to change you, change your attitudes, change your thoughts, protect you, direct you. Uh, thy rules I have hid in my heart. Thy word I have hid in my heart. Man's rules I have hid in my heart that I wouldn't sin against thee. No, thy word I have hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. The Lord uses his word by his spirit to protect us and direct us and lead us and guide us. So then, how can we keep from having our faith shipwrecked? Trust in the all-sufficiency of Christ, God in human flesh, in whom we've been made complete and we have complete salvation. Allow his word to work in your heart by his spirit. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's some of you out there maybe who've sinned by relying on rituals to not sin, to deal with your flesh. Confess. Be forgiven. Be forgiven. And then, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Some of you are doing well. See to it that no one takes you captive. Don't let it happen. Trust in Christ. You see, in Him we have 
everything we need. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your love and protection of us. And I pray we wouldn't uh, allow ourselves to be deluded or taken captive. We wouldn't allow our faith in your son Jesus to be shipwrecked, Lord God. That we would hear your word and respond to it. That we would not try to deal with our flesh through rules and regulations and holding it down, but that we would turn to your son Jesus Christ for deliverance. You're faithful, Lord God, and we know you will deliver us through him. We know that. Help us to trust in him with all our heart and not lean on our own understanding, but in all our ways acknowledge him. And we know that he will make our path straight. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.